1: I had the uh, joy of having my family in town from Colorado, and uh, while here, uh, we said, hey, let's let my brother speak. So this is my brother, Luke, and... uh Luke is my older brother. He's my best friend, and he's far more seminary educated than I am. So Luke went to Fuller. Luke went to uh, to uh, United Lutheran Seminary. You went to Wesley Seminary in D.C. and uh, and the lectionary gave us a really tough passage this morning. So I thought let's let Luke deal with it. Uh, and so uh, no first service, Luke spoke, and I was blown away. It was phenomenal. So you all are in for a treat. No pressure. But uh, but it's, it's going to be really meaningful. Um, to prepare ourselves for that, we are going to stand as you're able, and we're going to read from the Gospels. Whenever we read from the Gospels, we like to stand as a way of just embodying that Jesus is in the room, The word is speaking to us, and this morning the word speaks in a passage that uh, has a lot to unpack, and that's what I look forward to Luke doing for us here in a moment. So let's uh, give our attention. Morgan is going to read from us from the Gospel of Luke.
2: From Luke 21. There will be signs in the sun, the moon and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
0: See? Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, my name's Luke, like Jordan said. Um, I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to start by just saying how thankful I am to be here. Um, you know, as Jordan's brother, being a part of this community long distance, hearing the stories, the struggles, the, the, the sun and the moon and the stars falling apart, and all the things that you have gone through over the last few years, I just want to say you're dear to me. Um, in the way that you have walked through this together, the ways that you have continuously sought hope, sought healing, sought redemption, and have held on to the core of what it means to be the people of Christ. Um, I just want to say thank you from my heart and thank you for the way you've walked with, with the Warner family. And I'm so thankful to be with you today. So, um so I, I've been thinking about this Sunday for a few months, ever since I knew I was coming out here for Thanksgiving, and, um, and so I've been reading this passage and really trying to like sit with it, pay attention to what's sticking out to me, and working through some of these ideas with some of you on the Advent planning team, and you know, it, it, it started as a, as a four-part sermon and then became 14 parts, and so I, no, not really, um, but, but I had this idea of where I wanted to go. Kind of right, right away, I was like, oh, oh, that's what I want to do with this. And I was real excited about it. I thought, that's some good stuff, it's going to be cool. Um, but as I was working through the planning and really nailing it down, I, I started realizing, like, I kept hitting some walls. I couldn't get to where I wanted to land. And I felt like, honestly, I was trying to, like, contort the passage a bit or highlight this thing or that thing and, and make it say what I wanted it to say. And it just didn't feel right. And so I share that with you because honestly, I think that experience is probably not that uncommon when we come to passages like this one. It's hard to know what to do with these things. They're just massive. And uh, the the temptation is to sort of like, take one thing Jesus says here, and then throw everything else in a blender until it comes out in like a, a smoothie that fits our main idea, and we, we sort of end up doing this violence to the text, and we, we compress it, we twist it, we distort it, and we lose the tension that's in this, and I actually believe that, that Jesus is going for tension here. He is not trying to, like, give us some nice, clean, easy-to-swallow thing. He's actually trying to do something intentional with this text, and so what I want to try to do today is get into that tension a little bit. Um, when I look at this, I actually see almost like three different movements of this passage, right? He, he, and he kind of transitions through them. And so I want to take some of that same approach with us to, to look at this as sort of three separate ideas, three separate reflections on something at the center that are all coming from different angles, different perspectives, different lenses, if you will. And that idea of lenses, um, like I've had lenses to help me see my whole life. Um, and, and these eyeglasses, they, they help me focus on something. They bring a particular clarity to something that otherwise would be hard for me to see. But we have lots of different lenses in our lives and they fulfill different purposes. We have sunglasses, right? That intentionally darken the light so that you can see other things a little more clearly. We have things like binoculars and rear-view mirrors. We have, I lost my place. I knew this would happen. Uh, (laughs) So binoculars, rear-view mirrors, microscopes, even Instagram filters, right? All these things that, that take an image and do something with it to emphasize one particular aspect or dimension of it. And as you focus on one thing, others become a bit blurry. And so I think that's what happens if we grab one thing and we focus only on it. Everything else becomes a bit blurry. So what I want to do today is take a few of these lenses. And look, okay, let's look at this one from this angle. And then let's go over here and look back at this way. And then let's go over here from way out here and look at that angle. And then try to hold these all together. And see, can we get, instead of a reduced 2D image of a complex reality, what if we can build some sort of like 3D model and hold these different experiences, these different practices, these different views all at the same time? Now, that's not easy. Uh, I can't tell you what that is, right? Which is why you don't do this in sermons. But we're going to do this anyway because the point is, what is God going to show us as a people? What's God going to reveal to us? And how can we hold this tension and see a little more clearly together. And so the final piece of this is, each time we take a view, I'm going to share a bit, but then we're going to pause, and we're going to sit in silence, and we're going to hold that there, and see what God's revealing to us. So that's kind of, that's our agenda for today, okay? If you want to leave. um. All right, so let's start. So if we look at this passage that Jesus starts with here, there will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars; distress on earth, nations confused, roaring seas, people fainting, powers of heaven shaken. Anybody got a little anxiety now? I do. Uh, this is this is a heavy, intense text. It it feels overwhelming. Uh, it, it feels beyond our control. Um, and I think what we're looking at here is this sense of a cosmic breakdown. These aren't just ideas of, like, uh, of something big, but, but this is immense. This is cosmic. This is essentially a breakdown of all rhythm, all structure, all order. All of the things of life that happen in the way we expect. And especially for people of this time, right? These are people without electricity, without clocks. If the sun doesn't come up, what are you going to (laughs) do, right? We go take pictures of the eclipse. Their life is, like, their day is done. There is no way they can't work. There's no heat. Crops don't grow. They follow a lunar calendar, which depends on the waxing and waning of the moon. And without that, you begin to lose your sense of time and place, even things like travel, trade, communication. This is all dependent on navigation by the stars. If your constellations start moving, falling out of place, if, if that goes away, what are you going to do? So, so we're talking here about a catastrophe, about all of the sort of safety and comfort that comes from a predictable life is being threatened. Life falling apart and a deep sense of unease and, oh, what's what's going on here? And then this one other piece here, I want to just focus on this roaring of the sea and the waves. See, this is important because for people of this time, the sea represents these sort of mythical powers of chaos. The the things that are untamed, unseen, unknowable, the, the unknowable depths where no humans can go Yet they're right there on the edge, right around the corner. Today, we use stories of monsters or aliens to try to evoke this same experience this, this thing that's just out in the dark, but it's watching us. It could be right around the corner. And if it shows up, we're unprepared. So, Jesus is drawing out these embodiments of havoc and chaos. To make a point, he's trying to describe the unraveling of life as his people know it, something that shakes the foundations of the earth, turning everything upside down. Now, I'm going to guess that for those of us in this room, this language of cosmic disorder, of chaos and confusion, of reality cracking and foundations falling apart, that probably strikes a chord with a lot of us. We're also living in a time of tremendous uncertainty, of momentous events where we feel like something of great importance is at stake. And more and more, it seems like it's too much. We're splitting at the seams. We're growing in fear and anger. We no longer trust each other. We don't even know what's true. And so it would not be right to just read about this and pretend that we are not also living in this. This text speaks to us and to our own sense of confusion. So I want to take a moment now to pause and sit with that tension in this place together. I know some of this can be powerful, it can be overwhelming, but I invite you to take a second And try to sit with it. What's that one thing that came to mind, that one circumstance, that one fear that's immediately grabbing you when we read this? Try to hold it. Sit with it. Be present to it for one minute as we sit here in this place. So let's take a second. Now, when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your head because your redemption is drawing near. So, Jesus brings this crowd right into the heart of uncertainty and confusion, right into that pain that they're feeling. And then he concludes that thought with a line that's really unexpected. Stand up. Raise your heads. Redemption is coming. It's like he's talking about the world ending, and then he's like, don't stress. Pay attention. Watch what happens next. Huh? That that doesn't make sense. So there's two important things to notice in this whole passage. All this language of cosmic falling apart, this is not just... Big, big imagery, but it's also creation imagery, right? Sun, moon, stars, darkness and light, chaos and void and order and rhythm. This is creation imagery. If we jump back to Genesis 1, we can remember the Spirit of God hovering over the dark waters, God present over the chaos. And God speaks light into the darkness. God puts things in their place, sets boundaries and orders. God establishes the necessary criteria for life to flourish. And a few chapters earlier in the book of Luke, in chapter 8, Jesus and his disciples are in a boat. And they're caught in a storm with roaring winds and raging seas. Again, mythical chaos. Right at the edge of the boat, threatening their lives. But Jesus stands up and speaks peace to the storm. He restores. He creates something new and beautiful and good. So Jesus is intentionally calling back to these stories of cosmic chaos and reminding people that it is precisely in those moments where God shows up and restores makes peace and creates something new. Now Jesus also says the son of man will be coming in great coming in a cloud with great power and glory. So this is a throwback to the book of Daniel about a messiah who will come and bring God's will to earth, justice to the unjust. Who will lift up the poor and the weak, gather the lonely, empower the broken, cease all division, heal all suffering, bring life to the fullest. This is the anticipation of the coming Messiah. This is heaven coming to earth. So Jesus now pulls all these ideas together and lays them out in front of people. What's he saying here? What does redemption look like in this context? Well, Jesus is not promising a nostalgic return to the good old days, back when life was easy and it all made sense. In times of uncertainty, there can be this powerful longing to go back, to to remember, like, oh, those days, it was clear, it was easy. If we could just go back, life would be good again. It would all be easy. And we start to believe those ideas, those stories. But Jesus is looking forward with a vision, not of just what used to be, but with a vision of life that is more whole, more vibrant, that brings all together in an abundance, a better way of life than has ever been. Jesus is also not seeking revenge, even though his people have a long history of being under the boot of Military superpowers. For hundreds of years, his people have been oppressed by those who came in power with military might and forced their will upon them. But Jesus isn't looking for military or political victory here. In a world of fear and strife, Jesus is talking about a kingdom that redeems and restores that brings right to wrongs, but in a way that turns enemies into family through the powers of love and forgiveness. Finally, Jesus isn't promising that his followers are going to escape this time of confusion, this cosmic breakdown, this, thing, this time of unraveling. Instead, they're in it, right in the midst of it. There's no running away. But the point of being in it is not just, it's not to suffer with it. It's so that they can be in it and lift up their heads and see the redemption that is about to happening. It's so that in the midst of the pain and the sorrow and the confusion, they can see redemption. They can see healing. They can see the kingdom coming and setting things right. It's an invitation not just to watch, but to join, to partner with God. When you see healing happening here, can we rush to it and join? When we see redemption here, what does it look like to breathe into that, to support it, to nurture it? That's the invitation he sets for his people here. So yes, there is chaos and confusion all around, but Jesus takes that and reframes it through the lens of recreation and redemption. This is actually not the end of the world, the end of all things. These are labor pains. This is creation groaning for something new to be born, for the kingdom of God to be born in us and around us. Now I want to return again to that place of silence that we were at just a moment ago. Take another breath. When you encounter these difficult and confusing times, what's your go-to response? Is it nostalgia, wanting to go back? Do you seek revenge? Do you look for a way to escape? What else would it be? Where are your patterns? Just simply ask that you'd be honest with yourself and with God. This is not a story of shame. We're not looking to out each other here. But, but sit with that, with the reality of that, and then ask God to show you what could redemption look like in those situations, in those responses. Let's sit for a minute and ask God to show us this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus has done all this big talk, this big superhero, marvel, sci-fi, end of the world, breakdown of all things, here it comes. It's a blockbuster. And it's almost as though he lays this out and gets some blank stares and people are, huh? Eh? So he says, "Well, well, let me... Let me tell you a parable to help you understand. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they grow leaves, you know the kingdom is here. You know summer is here. And in the same way, when these things happen, you know the kingdom is here. Sort of like, uh, okay. You just went from like stars and moon and catastrophe to a tree. How do those, like, balance each other out? But there's a couple things I think he's trying to get to. One is that the arrival of the kingdom seems to be intrinsically linked to the unraveling of the old way of things. You can't have one without the other. When you see these things happening, the kingdom is near. But I think it's also remarkable that Jesus chose this as his analogy. I mean, think of what he could have done instead. The the stars are falling and then a mighty army will arrive and defeat its enemies. That's what the kingdom is like. No, the kingdom is like a powerful king who commands obedience. Or a brilliant new star that fills the sky with glory and brightness, replacing all those other things that fell out of the sky. Instead, he chooses a tree and leaves. It's like he's saying, hey, everybody, like the foundation of the world is cracking and all of life is falling apart. But don't worry, my power and glory is like a bud on a branch. but don't worry, eventually it draws nourishment and it grows and it gains strength and it expands in size until it becomes a mighty flower. Let's be honest, that's not our way. That's not how we would respond. We're people of strength versus strength. Using power to overpower power. Violence that puts an end to the threat of violence, using violence. We dominate the ones we worry will dominate us before they have a chance. That's how we solve problems. That's where we go to. But the kingdom of God is different, it's operating on a different law of physics, an inverse way of understanding reality. It's a kingdom of weak forces. Things like love and mercy and forgiveness. It doesn't awe viewers with spectacle and bright lights. It sprouts like a tiny little leaf. All but unnoticeable. It doesn't bear arms against its enemies. The kingdom bears fruit. (coughs) A bountiful harvest available to everyone who's hungry, rich or poor, deserving or not, with us or against. The kingdom doesn't sweep in power over enemy lines, leaving bodies behind. It drops seeds on the ground, buries itself deep in the dirt, losing life, Trusting that in, the, in time, these seeds will sprout, will grow, will lead to more life. A harvest 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. So I want us to pause for a final time. And if the band wants to come up, we're going to spend a few more minutes here just bringing all these pieces together, these different angles and perspectives and images. We've gone through a lot. Can we hold it together for just a minute and see what comes of this tension and this hope? In our world of endlessly churning news cycles, constantly demanding our attention, it's hard to notice the leaves and the flowers. It's hard to notice the kingdom. But Jesus makes it very clear that when life is chaotic, the kingdom is near. If only we have eyes to see So let's sit in your chair, close your eyes, pause, quiet yourself. Take a slow, deep breath, then another. Turn away from all the lights and noise, the external distractions, the voices demanding your attention.
1: I'll see why I look up to my brother so much. Um, Thank you, Luke, for sharing with us. As we hold to hope, uh, our kids are going to be joining us in just a moment, but uh, before they come back in, I'll invite you to stand as you're able, and we'll begin to prepare ourselves to approach this table, which is our final movement in our gathering. We're coming down the home stretch, but we begin with confession of uh, all the places that uh, we fail to hold to the hope of Christ and then we receive Christ's forgiveness. So would you join me as we confess our sins against God and our neighbor? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. May the most merciful God have mercy on you, forgive you of your sins and hold you in hope. today.